welcome to C-Sessions. This is your host, Randall Broad. I'm here with our esteemed guest, Congresswoman Susan Delbeni from the 1st District and here at the State of Washington, along with Senior Policy Manager Lindsay Hoof of the National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship. And Lindsay is located in Washington, D.C., and the NCCS is an advocacy group that is instrumental in making sure our voices are heard. Welcome, ladies. Lindsay, will you just give us a little bit of background on what NCCS does and stands for? Of course. The National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship, we've been around for over 30 years. It was actually founded the year I was born, so it's easy to keep track of for me. We were founded by and for cancer survivors. We work in public policy efforts to improve cancer care. I actually have the lucky job of getting to manage our grassroots advocacy program, which Randy, you're a part of, and you mentioned. I'm incredibly grateful to be here to talk with both of you today about healthcare policy. Thank you so much for being here. And I want to jump right in. We've got some fairly important topics we're going to talk about. We're going to jump into the Affordable Care Act, which is what should be on first and foremost on a lot of people's minds right now because of all that's taking place. Congresswoman Delbeni, you kind of got a big week coming up next week, don't you? There's a big day coming up on Tuesday, November 3rd, I think for all of us. Hopefully everyone is going to get out and vote before that or on that day. I've already cast my votes and got them in. Congresswoman, can you please give us an overview of where the ACA is right now? What are the biggest issues that you see that are currently before us? Right now, in the middle of a global public health pandemic, our focus should be on making sure we continue to do everything possible for everyone to have affordable quality health care period. That should be the focus of Congress, um, the focus of the administration. Unfortunately, what we see happening is a legal case now going to the Supreme Court to try to repeal the Affordable Care Act, which would, and we can talk about this a lot, which would have devastating effects on people's access to health care. Millions of people who have health care right now due to the ACA would lose coverage. There's been a lot of talk, as you know, about the coverage for folks with pre-existing conditions, something that was mandated in the Affordable Care Act, that would be repealed with the legislation. So the Supreme Court is taking up this case, California versus Texas. They will start hearing oral arguments on November 10th. So just a a week after the election. It's extremely concerning. I think it's a weak legal case related to whether the whole bill should be repealed because of the individual mandate. I'm not an attorney, so I won't go into all of the issues on the legal case, but I think most folks feel it's a weak legal case. But given the Supreme Court, definitely with the most recent justice who was just sworn in, there's great concern that that repeal could go through. And that would mean 135 million Americans who live with pre-existing conditions. Most people have some type of pre-existing conditions mm-hmm. and definitely cancer patients are pre-existing conditions. Coverage from that would be gone. Medicare coverage or and Medicaid coverage and Medicaid expansion across the country where the states who expanded, including Washington state, Medicaid expansion, the 16 million people would lose coverage there. It's incredibly important that people are aware of what's happening. Um, It's also very important that we understand kind of how this is moving forward because the downstream consequences of a Supreme Court decision would be devastating across all of healthcare as we try to figure out how we move forward. Thank you for the recap. I was watching the news over the weekend and keep hearing the president say that, oh, even though they're going to repeal this because it's a bad law, whatever, they're going to keep pre-existing conditions intact. Now, the one thing that I think a lot of people might not be aware of is even if they were to keep these pre-existing 
conditions intact, it doesn't mean that healthcare providers and the insurance companies can't charge you more for that coverage. Is that correct statement? Well, I think that the coverage for pre-existing conditions, that requirement is part of the Affordable Care Act. So you take out the Affordable Care Act, you take that away. And the question is, how are you implementing that? And what is the policy when they say they're going to put it back in place? What's the specific policy that's going to do that? And how would that work? In the absence of that, I don't think you can really answer those questions. There's this quick statement that folks may, don't worry, well, you're going to cover them. Well, be very specific on what you mean and how, and what are the consequences of that? What does that mean for folks who don't have any coverage? What does it mean for essential health benefits and other things which are not necessarily pre-existing conditions, but are critical to people getting quality health care and making sure their insurance and their coverage is covering all of their most basic health care needs. All of those are open-ended questions if the court made that decision. And a whole another conversation is how you actually unwind the Affordable Care Act. A lot of work went into implementing that taking it out is not something that would just happen immediately. That would create a lot of chaos and confusion. What kind of a time frame are we looking at? Let's say it does, quote unquote, get changed. You've said they're going to start verbalizing this week from election day. Are we talking a month, six months? I don't think we know. So that's a big concern, whether it's sooner or later. Then what are the specifics of the decision that the court might make? Is there a decision to repeal? Is there a decision to do something that is kind of, is there a partial decision? What does that mean? I think we really need to know, and we'll probably learn as we start to hear the case a little bit more about what thinking might be, but that's part of the challenge. And I think that's a huge concern for everyone. Um, healthcare is personal. It impacts every single one of us. Just the uncertainty and not knowing what could happen and what the downstream impact of that could be and kind of how that's going to be addressed and fixed is incredibly concerning for everyone. And in, and especially, it would be in any time, but especially during a pandemic where we all have concerns for ourselves, our family members and loved ones, our friends, that extra added uncertainty on a time where everything is uncertain is incredibly challenging, I think, for our communities. So is it a safe assumption that nothing has really been proposed so far to date from the other side of what this change or mandate would look like? I don't think there has been any proposal. In fact, there's been this ongoing statement that the president seems to make that he's going to announce something anytime. And I think he's been saying the same thing for years on that. There is no proposal to address issues of pre-existing conditions or address all of the issues that would be huge challenges across the country if, if the decision was to strike down the law. It impacts Medicare Part D, so it would address prescription drug prices and bring back the donut hole, the implications across the board in terms of coverage, the subsidies to make healthcare affordable for over 9 million people, those would be gone. What does that mean? All of these are open questions, and there's been no response from the president or from Republican leadership on how they would address them. And I would just add too, I mean, they ran on repealing the Affordable Care Act, and they've had four years to do that and haven't done it because, and it, what I think is so meaningful, there have been this groundswell support for the ACA. It's sort of like, you know, you don't know what you got till it's gone, or it's being threatened to be gone. And so now it's like most people know what pre-existing conditions is when I think 10 years ago, no one knew what that was. And so I think that that's pretty meaningful right now 
that we have the president saying, oh, we will definitely protect pre-existing conditions. But like the Congresswoman said, there's been no concrete plan whatsoever. So that isn't in place. So Lindsay, let me ask you that. In your job, be out advocating on behalf of the me's of the world. I am a former cancer patient. Where do you see what you're doing? How are you making an impact on behalf of this situation? So at NCCS, we've really been doing two major things on the Affordable Care Act and access issues is helping share patient stories. And that kind of sounds simple. And the Congresswoman can definitely talk about how from her perspective as a policymaker, what that means to her. Unfortunately, most people don't know that members of Congress really genuinely want to hear from their constituents about their personal stories. And it puts a face to all these abstract policies that we're talking about. So the Affordable Care Act is incredibly complicated law, but if Randy, like we went to the Hill together years ago when this was on the chopping block and you got to go in and talk to your members and say like, I'm someone who lives with a pre-existing condition. If I don't have healthcare access, like my life would be in jeopardy. Like I have to have access to all of these incredible protections that the ACA provides. And we don't want to go back to the days where insurance companies could discriminate, not provide cancer patients with right. healthcare because of their pre-existing conditions. Or if they did, they could try charge them exorbitant amounts of money for their premiums. It's really just like elevating the patient voice and empowering patient advocates to share their stories with policymakers so that that connection is made and there's a face to the decision that they're going to that they're going to make. Well, it made me feel good doing it just so you know. Congresswoman Del Benny, I think I've been in your office four times since we met for the first time. Always receptive. If you were up on the Hill doing a vote, I still met with some of your staff members. And again, having a voice from my perspective is huge. And probably more importantly is having on the receiving end the receptions that we do receive. And I've met with Patty Murray. I've met with Maria Cantwell. I met with other congresspeople from our state and even from other states when I've gone back there. So I can't emphasize the importance of that of having that voice. To me, it means a lot. So Congresswoman, on your side. Absolutely. I think Lindsay said it incredibly well. It takes things away from this kind of intellectual exercise about how do you solve a problem and really highlights the personal impact of the decisions that we make, the personal impact of policy. And healthcare, as I said before, is so personal for all of us. We all have a story. It's incredibly important to to make sure when we look at the policies that we put in place, how that's going to impact the people we represent. Is it going to help improve the lives of the people you represent? Is it going to make it harder? Is it going to help a family going through a crisis? Are we going to help make it easier for them as much as we can? That's the goal of policy. And so not only is it important because it puts, as Lindsay said, it kind of puts a face on these issues. It also helps us to kind of test as we're putting policy together Will it address that issue that Lindsay or Randy or whoever we talked to brought up? If we put policy together in this way, will it really help in that scenario? And it gives a lot of information to policymakers and their staff, because I think meeting with staff is also very important when they're trying out ideas to see, would this work? Is it going to, to address the situation that we heard about and make it easier? 
And if not, what do we need to do to do differently? And that's really so critically important. If we look at the Affordable Care Act, the just so many people who are helped by the Affordable Care Act, and it is not perfect. There is more work we need to do. Right. And one of my great frustrations from all the stories I've heard from folks is instead of saying, here's what's working and what's not working and how we move forward, we've been spending years having Republicans continue to talk about taking away the Affordable Care Act as opposed to say, here's some things that worked well, here's some things we need to improve on, which it should be a bipartisan effort. And it still shocks me why this is not a bipartisan Absolutely. effort. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. You brought up the pandemic and COVID a little earlier. In your opinion, where does that fit in with everything that's going on right now? There's going to be a lot of people that are going to have a pre-existing COVID situation. Nobody really knows what the downstream of what having COVID could possibly entail. First of all, there's the current public health response, making sure that everyone has access to affordable quality health care during a pandemic. Right. That's critically important. And we've also seen the inequities that existed, that pre-existed the pandemic, but have been highlighted. And those inequities have been widened throughout the pandemic to highlight all of the work that we still have to do. And so the first response right now needs to be making sure that we have resources available for our communities to help them through the pandemic, to help in the public health response, to help in the research that is happening, to come up with treatments and a vaccine, things like personal protective equipment, all the things that we need to help our healthcare workers, to help our communities to be safe. And unfortunately, even things like having a national plan for supply chain for personal protective equipment have been controversial. Wearing a mask has become unfortunately a political issue and yet should be one of the most basic things that we come together to do to help protect our communities and to crush the virus. And so I do think that both it's a policy issue, we're still trying to pass a more, you know, a relief package, something we passed in the House last May. We're still trying again just to make sure that people have resources to get by, workers, families, small businesses. We hear more and more, I hear from my constituents, more and more people who are struggling because we haven't maintained those resources that we did at the beginning of the pandemic. That impacts people's healthcare, healthcare across the board from having a safe place to live, which we know is critical in a public health crisis. We have folks with a lot of stress in their lives right now, a lot of concern. I think mental health is another area where there needs to be a lot of focus. And then people who are working who want to make sure that they're safe. They're in an environment where they can work and be safe. All of these are issues impacting our communities. And that needs to be the top issue that we're working on. Unfortunately, the the president and the Senate haven't been haven't made relief a priority. They made appointing a Supreme Court justice quickly a priority. And so we know they can move quickly if they want to. This is a place where we need the response to the pandemic to be a priority, helping our communities during a public health crisis, but also long-term healthcare and affordable quality healthcare has to be a priority. And now we have a court case that's trying to move us in the other direction. What can we be doing on our end besides vote? Obviously, that's number one. Is there anything that you see from your end that the general populace could be doing that's not being done to the degree that you think would help 
push this further along? The voting, I just want to reiterate again, because it's not a small thing. It's a huge thing <laughs> and has a really big impact on how policy moves forward. Vote. And I, when I say vote, I mean vote for at all levels of government, because right. there are public officials at all levels. Sometimes you know, folks talk about the presidential race, but all the way down the ballot, there are folks who can make important decisions that impact the availability of health care in our country and in our local communities. So make sure you're thoughtful about that and tell your story, as you and Lindsay were talking about before. That's really what drove the ACA in the first place, was responding to the impersonal stories across the country, the need for health care. This is the number one issue, continues to be the number one issue for um, people across the country for all the reasons we talk about and stay engaged after the election. Continue to talk to lawmakers, continue to make sure that policies that are being discussed are ones that are gonna address the things that are impacting you and your families. So being engaged and involved in an engaged and involved community is a huge part of it. And what's the best way for a layman like myself to go about doing that as far as I'm connected to an organization like NCCS, which has been fabulous, and they do get me out to D.C. on a fairly regular basis when we aren't homebound. Is it more at the local level or what can, quote unquote, patients or individuals be doing to engage, to get that voice heard, tell that story? There are so many different ways. People write. And when I say write, that doesn't just mean write a physical letters as some folks do. Some folks send email call. We're not in DC all the time. I'm home right now and members of Congress, other elected officials, and we have local offices. And so you can contact our offices here and we meet with folks also when we're home so that these aren't all conversations that have to take place in DC. But there are many organizations, just like the work that Lindsay's doing, who bring together communities to help educate people on policy. And so when they're going in to talk to an elected official, they're going in with very specific requests, because I do think it's important for folks to be specific about what they're asking, because you may only get in D.C., as you know, you might get 10 or 15 minutes to talk. So you want to make sure you are clear on what it is that you think is important, what kind of you're asking for, you want to make sure someone considers all of that is working with others who might have some of that knowledge is really helpful. I think that a lot of it has been driven through different interest organizations who are bringing collections of patients together who can share their stories. Good. And I have been out to your office out in Mill Creek, which I hear you're moving. But And just so you know, you serve really good coffee out there. So it's... <laughs> In Washington State, we better have good coffee. We better have good coffee. It was always very, very beneficial because I did meet with people on your staff that were specifically focused on healthcare. And so to have that conversation, again, I think that's really important. And I'm glad to hear you say what you say as far as engage, call, be heard, and come out and speak your mind. And Lindsay, is there anything else that you, in your world, what do you recommend individuals do to get themselves heard and and engage? I think the Congresswoman really touched on the biggest way is just sharing your story and reaching out to the office and reaching out to groups that represent your interests, like NCCS. And she also mentioned the COVID relief package that was introduced or passed in the House And that was a great example of the patient community coming together. We were so thrilled to be able to see an expansion of paid family medical leave included in that package because for cancer survivors, we we were getting calls every day from our advocates and patients across the U.S. saying, as a cancer survivor, I have a compromised immune system. I work at the DMV or I work at a museum 
And even if we open, it's not safe for me to go back to work. And so what are those people supposed to do? That's exactly what we did. We engaged patients to share their stories and we wrote letters and did calls. That was a big reason why it was part of the house package. Unfortunately, the Senate didn't move on that, but it's a good example of elevating the voice. Of getting involved. Exactly. Good. We're going to wrap things up here. Is there any last comments that either one of you want to throw our way before we call it a session? Make sure to vote. If you haven't voted yet, vote as soon as you can. Get that in. Track in. In Washington State, obviously, you can track your ballot and make sure that it's been processed and verified. That's the most critical thing you can do right now. Get that voice heard. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more, and it's a privilege that we live in a country where we get to have our voice heard. Ladies, it's been a pleasure having you both on. I appreciate your insight, your knowledge, and most of all, your desire to make sure that people like myself get the best kind of treatment and health care that we can get. It's huge. So thank you. Good luck next week, Congresswoman Del Benny. You know where thank my you. heart stands. And uh, Lindsay, I want to thank you for stepping in and sharing your side of the story. <laughs>